Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. The race is on, and Daniel Ricciardo may be the most successful free agent on the F1 driver market, but his hopes of being on the grid next year appear to be receding. So what are the chances of a race seat for the Australian, and could a sabbatical, retirement, or even a reserve driver role be his best option? I'm Ed Straw, and joining us to answer those questions and more are Ben Anderson and Claire Cottingham. Well, Claire, welcome back to the Race F1 podcast. For those who don't know, Claire is a regular in the F1 paddock for racefans.net. Settled back into normality after the Spa-Zanvoort Monza triple. It was a bit wild, wasn't it? It was a it was a long journey. I drove over to Spa, then drove back, then drove over to Zanvoort, then flew back, then flew over to Monza and flew back through Italian strikes. So we had a we had a journey for sure. But um yeah, it was good. It was um it's nice to be home, but it's always fun to be out and about. Yeah, I was on the same flight as you back and it was not a pleasant arrival time, was it? It was very much in the uh, in the small hours. And Ben Anderson, you're something of a Daniel Ricciardo specialist. You covered his antics extensively, not just in Formula One, but as far back, I think, as British F3. So feeling quite well qualified for this one? Yeah, I suppose so. Um, yeah, I, I've known Daniel since 2009. He came to, uh, to do British Formula 3 as it was. Obviously, that championship no longer exists. Um, and stayed in touch since, yeah, followed his F1 progress, obviously, and uh, declined this year and last year, sadly. So, yeah, let's get into it. Excited for this discussion. Yeah, well, it is a great topic to get into, so let's not delay. Claire, considering Daniel Ricciardo has been a top F1 driver for so long, won eight Grand Prix, are you surprised he's not a bigger player in the driver market, given there are some reasonable seats available? Yeah, there are some reasonable seats. Obviously, we've seen a bit of silly season over the last couple of weeks, but he still has a chance at maybe Williams. Obviously, Nicholas Latifi, there's lots of talk about his seat being up for grabs. Maybe even Haas with Schumacher, of course. And maybe, you know, even Alpine, if we see a change of heart from the bosses there. Let's not even kind of go down that saga with Oscar Piastri moving over to McLaren and all sorts. But there are, of course, some lucrative choices uh, to go to. But it's, I think it's just, it's quite surprising and quite sad to see Daniel Ricciardo's career going down this direction. I think his time at Red Bull really showed his potential. Um, obviously, the dynamic massively changed when Max Verstappen moved up uh, from Toro Rosso into the team. Then he was still quite strong with Renault. And there's something sort of disappeared in Daniel. I don't know if that's confidence. We know he hasn't really gelled with the McLaren as well as maybe someone like Norris has. He's a highly talented driver who should be performing at, at any team, really. If you'd asked me, will Daniel Ricciardo be out of a drive in 2023? I would have probably said, you're mad. Like, he is one of the biggest talents on the grid. But Daniel himself, is, he's not denying that the season hasn't been acceptable for all involved, really. Looking at his season, Norris is on 88 points and Ricciardo is on 19. Now, just to put that into a bit of context, Nick de Vries, who stood in as a, as a cameo for Alex Albon um, last time out in, in Monza because he had a um, an issue and was in the hospital. He has appendicitis and was in the hospital over the weekend on the road to recovery. But he, he's already got two points to his name now with very little running after finishing in the points. And obviously it's a very different scenario, um, but it does show what's needed here. Yes, he's a very talented driver and has a lot of skill. And of course, he's a Formula E champion as Nick de Vries. Not exactly a rookie, but over a season, Daniel Ricciardo has only 19 points. So it does really show that his time at McLaren hasn't quite been the partnership I think that both sides would have wanted. I think the the key aspect here is whether or not this season and partly last season as well, his McLaren stint is an aberration in terms of what Daniel Ricciardo has done and is capable of, or whether it's a true indication of a proper decline and something which he can't recapture in a different environment. If you look at this season, it's hardly surprising that he's not really being talked about too seriously for the remaining seats because his form is so bad. I think I have him 
probably 19th out of the 20 regular drivers if I was to rank them now, uh, only ahead of Latifi. Um, but his performance this season in terms of points is the biggest outlier. I think he's got something like 22% of Norris's points this year compared to 72 last season. That's quite a big drop-off. Qualifying-wise, he's gone backwards. It feels like that. The gap's not grown hugely. He was sort of two-tenths on average off Norris last year when the McLaren was overall more competitive. This year, it's slipped to more than three-tenths. And that data set definitely is an outlier in Ricardo's career because most of the way through his career, he's been quicker than his teammate on average. When he left Red Bull, he was, I think, a tenth off Verstappen on average. He was quicker than Hulkenberg narrowly in the first season at Renault, quicker than Ocon when they were teammates at Renault, a couple of tenths in hand there. And then things go away from him. So you've got Norris basically pummeling Ricardo. Um, it seems he's met, met his match, certainly in that team. But then you have to consider the environmental factor. It's only at McLaren that Daniel has looked this bad. Every other part of his career has been strong and he's looked like one of the, if not the proper elite drivers, certainly knocking on the door. So how do you unpick that? I feel like if you're a team with a seat open, you should try to consider the peculiarities of the McLaren environment as regards Ricardo, the difficult car. Norris has been pretty grumpy about the car, particularly this season anyway. He's just been able to get a better handle on extracting performance from it. Um, but that doesn't mean that Ricardo, because he can't drive the McLaren, couldn't drive another car much better than he has. There have been drivers, even on the current grid, who've gone back to teams they raced with before or to new teams and suddenly found a new lease of life. And, you know, we're not talking about the end of Kevin Magnussen's career or Alex Albon's career or even Pierre Gasly's career. And these were drivers who got duffed up not so long ago in previous teams. So I wouldn't write Ricardo off. Um, He's a quality driver. He just hasn't shown it particularly this season. It's really interesting, isn't it? Because, you you know, even just mentioning Pierre Gasly there when he was at Red Bull and there's the 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 famous thing that he he spoke to, uh, spoke about on um player's tribune wasn't it where he he spoke about his time at red bull and as soon as he got there it felt like the team were against him and he he just did not get on with the setup there and it's so true you have to get on with the setup and you have to get on with the car and i think daniel ricardo we all know he's the big old smiley face and i'm sure he's a wonderful joy to work with alongside but something just like you say hasn't worked at mclaren and and i think it hasn't helped that when he was at Red Bull, he was alongside one of the, you know, the the biggest stars in Formula One coming through um, and was obviously being outpaced by him in qualifying. And, and like you mentioned with Hulkenberg as well. And Norris is as well one of the younger drivers that's coming through that has a, every chance of being a world champion. So it's, it, it is a really interesting thing. Are we seeing just the just a driver starting to come to the end of his career naturally, or are we seeing something not working um, at the teams? And I think that's what's such an interesting point at this at, at this stage. Um, and it's where he goes next, you know? Should he try and keep staying in Formula One? Who knows? I think he should. I think he's got a lot to offer still. I think this whole situation reflects really well on Lando Norris. And if people didn't consider him to be one of the truly elite drivers on the current Formula One grid before. They should now. I think he's in that kind of scary adaptability category that you place the likes of Verstappen, Leclerc, Alonso, yeah, Hamilton to some extent um, as well. But at the same time, you mentioned Vettel, which is obviously the season that kind of made Daniel Ricciardo you know, going into Red Bull up against a quadruple reigning world champion, beating him across the season, emerging as kind of Red Bull's go-to guy. He took huge confidence from that and that set him up for the rest of his career, basically. But he was, he is similar to Vettel in the sense of needing to feel that love and support from the team around him to do his best. I remember when he was at Renault and things were starting to come together for him in 2020, interviewing him and asking him about the transformation from the first season to the the second one and how he'd been able to extract more from himself in conjunction with the team. And he he referenced how he really felt he had 
the environment on his side of the garage that was fully behind him, that the team was fully behind him, and that he needed to feel that positive energy in order to get the most out of himself. For Vettel, it was always related to the technical side as well and how much he could have an influence and lead the team in that regard. But you saw at Ferrari, as soon as the Ferrari management didn't support Vettel and didn't allow him to do what he does best, his performance is tailed off. And that's not to say he would have beaten Leclerc. It's just to say that he probably would have done better against Leclerc if the situation had been different. And I feel like that's similar for Ricardo. Certainly this year, last year McLaren were behind him and he was slower than Norris, but the results were pretty decent. Obviously he had that win at Monza as well. But this year, it's been you know from fairly early on, Zach Brown has been making public noises about trying to manoeuvre Ricardo out of the team. So who knows how much earlier that started privately. And that is not an environment in which a driver is going to thrive. You know, we talk about drivers trying to be robots and block out the noise and just get on with their jobs, but they're emotional human beings like everyone else. And Ricardo certainly is a kind of heart on the sleeve guy, you know, happy go lucky, as you mentioned, Claire, Um, he is going to feel that negative energy And I think that's reflected in the way his performances continue to tail off. He's in a team that doesn't want him there. Now it's an open fact that they don't want him there. So how do you get the best from yourself in that environment? Very, very difficult. He's he's almost checked out now, I think. And it's it's now about how and where he goes about rediscovering himself and his his love for Formula One, which he's he's on record as saying he still has, you know, deep in his belly. It's such an interesting comparison, isn't it, between the Vettel and the Ricardo sort of... Where, it's funny, actually, because I was going to make that com- a comparison a moment ago, but it's it's exactly the same, that Ferrari weren't behind Sebastian. They probably were at the beginning. Obviously, that's why they signed him, but it was clear that the fallout was happening and Sebastian wasn't happy there. And when he moved over to Aston Martin, maybe he had got to the point where actually he was, you know, already thinking about winding things up. You know, he's won however many, you know, four world championships and and now's the time to leave. But with Daniel Ricciardo, you feel that he still believes he can be world champion. He still believes that, that that's in him and that he just needs to find the right combination of team and um and and set up or whatever it is he he still believes he can be world champion um but it, yeah it's, it is very interesting when you look at the 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 career path of of Sebastian and then and Daniel and and see where they've both ended up there's not a specific problem that's caused it to be uneasy between the two of them beyond just the fact that he's not been quick enough overall they've worked really hard on both sides to make it work and i think they're sincere in that Ricardo speaks highly of what the team's tried to do. The team speaks highly of what Ricardo's trying to do. But I think both sides have just realised this just isn't working. It's just not gelling for whatever reason. And to cycle back to the point you started with on this, Ben, that challenge of separating how much of it is Ricardo specifically at McLaren and how much of it is Ricardo, say, struggling with the generic characteristics of these cars. I think 21 was easier to write off as an aberration, but 22, because the generic characteristics of the cars have changed, they are a bit more understeery in, in slow corners. You do have to work them a bit harder to rotate them for slower corners on turning. That's the thing that makes you wonder, and it's actually really, really hard. It's one of the reasons why I'd like to see him in another F1 car, again, because that would at least take the McLaren bit out of the equation. So it's fundamental limitation versus McLaren specific limitation. No question. The results tell their own story. He has failed at McLaren. There's no doubt about that. That is more on him than the team because Norris has shown what is possible. But that's the question any rival team thinking of signing in needs to ask. Can they remove that limitation and get old Ricardo back? Because if they get that, then that's comfortably far and away the best available driver on the driver market. Yeah, absolutely. This is the crux of it, really. It's not about making excuses for Ricardo's lack of performance at McLaren. It's about trying to unpick exactly how that underperformance has been able to manifest itself. And I think on the one hand, you do have the clear difference between the drivers. We'd have to argue that you know Norris is looking like a, a faster driver than Daniel Ricardo, no question. On the other side, you've got McLaren limitations, which I think have been present for a few seasons. Although the cars have changed fundamentally from last year to this year, the McLarens of the previous generation rules weren't easy to drive. And I feel like 
some of the problems McLaren has got fundamentally in terms of its infrastructure are at play here. And that's why they're struggling to fix those car issues before the new wind tunnel, new simulator, etc. come on stream down the line. That holds Ricardo back. I would argue probably a bit more than Norris, not just because of maybe a fundamental difference in their driving ability, but also because Ricardo has this wealth of experience, certain habits and references he's built up over time that he knows are the correct way to go and would unlock more performance if you can get there. Whereas Norris only knows in the McLaren way and therefore probably has almost subconsciously adapted himself to certain traits that other drivers will find abhorrent when they come across them. The interesting thing is how well would Carlos Sainz have done had he transitioned through the rule change with McLaren because he's proven himself to be an outstandingly adaptable driver, but also he's one who's bounced around teams a quicker rate than most. So that's partly been forced upon him. And then I think you have this question you raised, Ed, of the current rules and the type of cars and those rules produce and the setups that they enforce on people. Very, very stiff mechanical platform, a bias towards the rear because the front doesn't hold on as well with this new generation of Pirelli tyres. And you've seen teams try to shift that balance forward to get more front-end grip and more response. Actually, to the point where some drivers who are very happy with that car balance, we reference Charles Leclerc, have lost races because the cars have become too oversteering and Larry. You know, we saw in France, Leclerc struggled with that. So I feel like the new rules maybe, and obviously I'm not an engineer, so you know I wouldn't take this as gospel, obviously. Uh, I feel like the new rules may have exacerbated some of the McLaren quirks and the challenges that their particular DNA of car produce for the drivers. And if Ricardo is just not able to feel the car predictably in that crucial corner entry phase, he's never going to be able to go as quick as Norris. And I think you can see, and I mean, Ed, you've watched many of the onboards comparing them directly. It doesn't look like Ricardo is driving a car which just fundamentally doesn't carry the same positive front end balance that Norris does. And that will make you slower across the lap. You know, anytime you have to just live with some understeer, you're not going to go as fast as a guy who can eliminate that understeer and still hang on to the car. Uh, and we've seen this in other teammate comparisons. There's a similar story going on at Red Bull with Verstappen and Perez. And I think, you know, you can equate those situations probably in the sense that Ricardo has tried, they've worked on lots of different solutions, potential solutions. And in the end, he's just having to carry a slightly safer setup to be able to drive the car than Norris. Yeah, well, his big problem is any corner that's got combination breaking and turning is a nightmare for Ricardo. I know the way the car is, you need to kind of divide up the the corner entry out of the whole corner a little bit. He's likened it to joining the dots, which I think is quite an apt thing for Ricardo to say, because that's almost what it feels like for him. Norris drives through the corner, whereas I feel like Ricardo's almost having to break it down. It's just not flowing for him, which is why I do think there's no question that Ricardo is limited in terms of what he'd normally do and not just fundamentally slower than Norris. He may be fundamentally slower than Norris as well, but it's not normal Ricardo driving. And that's the, the interesting thing. He likes to break a little bit earlier, carry the speed in, but he's just basically under-rotated all the time and he can't switch to that Norris style. A, a style Norris says he's had to adapt to as well because there are limitations and the, the arrow can be a little bit inconsistent in some ways. So I think just the car just doesn't feel under Ricardo well enough. It's been the same story for, for 18 months. The really interesting question here, Claire, if you feel like peering into the mind of Daniel Ricardo. And I don't know the answer to this. Does he think that if he goes somewhere else, he'll be normal Daniel Ricciardo again? Does he know? Does he have that confidence? He says he has, but does he? Does it convince you? I mean, what is normal Daniel Ricciardo, I think, is, is the issue here. As you quite rightly have both been saying, the cars, the cars are a huge part of how these drivers adapt and drive and and move forward. So I don't know. I don't know if there's an answer to that because where where is he going to go? If he goes to Alpine, which is obviously heading back to his old team, maybe, yes, he'll have a better time there and and, um, enjoy the 
the setup as he as he knows it the car um as you were saying ben he was he wasn't terrible at renault um williams which is famously quite a tricky car at the moment um as Albon and Latifi have been saying basically they can't just make it turn which is interesting it's always hard to make a car work if it's not turning into corners properly and the Haas which is again not performing very well and especially since they've had the the upgrades they've really struggled they they waited all this time for these upgrades to come in in Hungary and since then have not done very well um so where does he go that could benefit his driving style Red Bull, Mercedes, you know, they're the ones that really you need to be going to that maybe adapt to his driving style a bit better. I'd, uh, there's part of me that thinks a lot of it with Daniel Ricciardo comes down to his mindset as well. Um, and, and as we know with drivers all the time, their drive sets, are, their, their um, mindsets rather are, well, drive set probably makes more sense there, but their mindsets are very important in terms of how they perform. We saw it with Sebastian Vettel at Ferrari. He didn't get on with what was going on there. The setup there, his confidence dropped. Same with Daniel Ricciardo. His confidence has dropped at McLaren. And everyone, Andreas Seidel, the team principal, uh, you know, down to the engineers, down to the, you know, the, the PR, they didn't want Daniel Ricciardo to go. They wanted him to stay. They don't sign a driver to think, oh, after a year, we're going to get rid of him. You know, Zach Brown even came forward and said, I'll give you an IndyCar drive, you know, let, let's keep this, this this journey going. There's nothing wrong with us professionally, but there is just that disconnect. So where Daniel Ricciardo goes next, he has to go with confidence. And whether the confidence is, is too far gone, I, I don't know. That's only something he can work through in the off-season, I would assume. But it's very hard, isn't it, when you've been dropped by a team that that you hoped would be this great partnership and is a, is a formidable team on the Formula One grid – how do you get that confidence back? I don't I don't know. Um, I'm sure there's plenty of sports psychologists that are working alongside him or, you know, that he's spoken to moving forward, but it it will come down to a confidence thing at this point. Um, and, and can he turn that confidence around? I really hope so, because as Ben said earlier in the podcast, he's got so much more to give, and I do believe that as well. I think this might be why he's open-minded to the sabbatical option or even you know, the the semi-sabbatical of having a reserve drive. Because sometimes taking a proper break and existing outside the bubble can really help in terms of that mentality and just resetting yourself, rediscovering the love for it, analysing what's gone wrong and understanding what you could do better if you get another chance. Um, Magnussen and Albon are good examples of that. You know, both took enforced breaks because they were let go by, when Magnussen's case, the team he's now racing for again, and in Albon's case, Red Bull. And both have said they benefited from having that enforced year away. Obviously, Albon stayed in touch because he was doing simulator work and helping Yuki Tsunoda by driver coaching him, etc. But they've clearly come back better, more rounded drivers with a slightly different attitude as well. So I could see how that might benefit Ricardo. At the same time, you know, if in his own mind he feels like the chief reason the last couple of years haven't gone right is McLaren and some very specific things to do with those cars, how that team works and the fundamental limitations they haven't been able to overcome, then I'm sure he could bounce into another team and immediately, I think anyway, he would immediately rediscover some of that lost performance just from the change of environment. But he would have to back himself to then find a new path and unlock some of that performance that we know has gone missing from Daniel Ricciardo in the last couple of years. Where he does that is is the difficult question because Alpine would seem like a logical fit but it just seems that all the noises coming out of that team are saying they don't want to know anymore. They'd rather take Nico Hulkenberg, a driver who they ditched in favour of a knock-on Ricardo lineup previously, than take Ricardo back now. So the two years that McLaren have been seriously damaging for Ricardo in terms of paddock perception of what he can bring, then you're looking at, as you say, Claire, seats at Williams. 
pass. Obviously, there's a seat going at Alpha Tauri, maybe, but that's you know that's not going to work. I don't think it's not a realistic option. So it boils down to Williams or Haas, or taking some kind of break. I don't think. I think if you were Williams and you could realistically get Daniel Ricciardo and afford him and everything else, I mean, he'd be fantastic for that team. Uh, but does he want to drop that far down the grid? Are they seriously looking at that when you know? They've got some other younger options, cheaper options, who look like they could do a good job, particularly Nick de Vries, who, as you mentioned, stood in recently. So really, Haas seems like probably the only place he could go if he wants to keep racing. You know, Lewis Hamilton talks about how he wanted to take a break many times over the years, but he didn't want to risk dropping out and then having to catch back up to a sport that moves so fast. I mean, Alonso did that and found that his first season back, you know, he didn't really feel like he was operating his best until towards the end of that season. And now, you know, he looks great again, doesn't he? He looks like the Fernando that we've always known. So I think Haas would be a good fit for Ricardo, not necessarily in the development sense and progressing up the grid. Obviously they've got budget limitations and they've got quite a draggy car, but it seems like they have a fundamentally well-balanced car. Um, so in terms of just the pure driving and understanding how to get something from the car and maybe understanding whether these rules are a reason why Ricardo particularly is struggling or not, that could really help him. But that equally is work he could probably do away from the spotlight if he was to take this mooted Mercedes reserve role, for example. He might be able to do some private testing, uh, a lot of simulator work and maybe understand some of the technique and uh, technical differences away from the limelight um, and at the same time have that break from the hustle and bustle that allows him the separation he needs to reset his mind, draw a line under the McLaren turmoil and then survey the driver market again for 2024 and beyond and, and come back a better version of himself. It's um, interesting. I spoke to Alex Albon this um, this year, actually, about um, we sat down and just did a one on one about his um, about everything, you know, how you have your chats. But I was really interested about his mindset coming back in to the sport, as you say, coming away from it. And he was really, <laughs> as always, Alex Albon is very heart on his sleeve. He'll 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 speak to you about as, as much as you kind of want to speak about. And he spoke about coming back into the team, but also his time away. And he stayed within um within obviously Formula One as a reserve driver, which we'll come to, I think, a bit later about other other things that Daniel Ricciardo might be doing. But he said that actually he took that time to sort of reassess who he was rather than going, I, you know, I want, I want to think about my qualifying times and this and that. He thought, no, what I need to do is go away and think about where I could have been more selfish in my career and where I could have really moved myself forward, but instead tried to be a bit too nice. And I found that fascinating because Alex Album is a, still a lovely person. And, and when you speak to him, he's a, he's a very kind driver and he seems to be well liked on the, on the grid. Um, but I found that really interesting that he was like, actually, no, what I, I I knew I was, it wasn't a case of if I come back, it was when I come back, I'm going to change my mindset and I'm going to race this way and I'm going to do it very differently and I'm going to work on the, my mindset. I know I'm fast and I know I can win races, but I'm going to do it in a very different way and be more selfish. And I thought that's a really interesting way of looking at it because Daniel Ricciardo at the beginning of this year was very vocal and saying, do you know what? I'm going to be less of a clown. I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to be really focused and or was it beginning of last year I mean they all merge into one these days but but he was when he turned up at McLaren said I'm gonna I'm gonna really buckle down and put my head down and he did at the beginning of the season he he sort of stripped away a bit of that you know jokey Daniel Ricciardo we see but as soon as he started slipping again the jokes came back in and and that defense mechanism that he has which is be smiley and you know accept the defeat and and things like that and I'm not saying that he inwardly accepts the defeat because I think he very much still is a hard racer that wants to win but he uses this humor doesn't he to kind of to tear people away from looking at maybe how badly he's done this season so it could be that he takes a year away and, and decides to you know reset his mind in terms of being a bit more selfish and working on him it'd be very interesting to see but yeah I'm sure we'll get into that in a moment Ed I might have jumped ahead <laughs> no that's a good point you can see with the case of Alban he is a more 
confident communicator with the team of what he wants. He was much more tentative with Red Bull. Admittedly, he was the junior driver there. He can be the senior driver at, uh, at Williams. But it is important to sometimes reset and do things your own way and think, well, actually, with a clean slate, what can I, what can I do? But it's an interesting point about Ricardo. He says all the right things. Can't know, can't peer into his soul. But I just wonder how much of a dentist confidence has really taken from this period because he's tried really hard and not been able to make it uh, make it work uh, at all. He would definitely be hurting from this situation. How could he not be when you're talking about a driver who, at one stage, Red Bull was fating as a future world champion, so close to Max Verstappen on on pace when they were teammates a guy who has won multiple Grand Prix with different teams, you know, on the pure numbers, if you ignore the McLaren stint, like he's a he's a top driver. So he'll feel real pain from this experience. But at the same time, he has to, you know, if he's, if he's got a keen sense of self-worth, he has to believe that he can claw it back in a different situation. And I think it's been interesting during this run of races post all of this news coming out that people like Sebastian Vettel, who obviously is retiring shortly, so is speaking a little bit more freely, not that he was ever really holding back, but with a bit more freedom in terms of what he thinks about everything in Formula One from the political end right through to the driver market, what teams are doing. And also Lewis Hamilton, they've almost as the elder statesman thrown a bit of a comforting arm around Ricardo in the comments they've made, you know, Vettel was pretty pointed when he said, uh, McLaren clearly haven't got the best out of him because he knows having been alongside Ricardo, what he's capable of in the same environment. Hamilton thinks Ricardo should be on the grid that he belongs there and is way, way better than he's looked. And Ricardo should take, Heart from that, I think, because those guys, having been around as long as they have, they know how important it is to get the right environment around yourself, to get the car working in a way that you can extract the performance from it. I mean, Lewis Hamilton, obviously, you know, the most decorated driver in Formula One history, an incredible talent. But he is a guy also who understands now in this phase of his career that you need the car to do a lot of the heavy lifting for you in order to get the most from yourself. Maybe he learned this to a certain degree when he was paired with Nico Rosberg, who was very good on the technical side. And perhaps Lewis, before Rosberg came along, was relying a little bit too much on his uh, natural ability, if you like. But he knows, um, you know, it's not always about just taking whatever car the team gives you and, you know, trying to extract the impossible hundredth or tenth from it it's about trying to work on the the bigger problems and and making the whole thing better this is something Kimi Raikkonen was quite good at that said of course when there's another guy in the same team extracting you know two or three tenths per qualifying session on average more than you can that is a perfectly logical reason for the team to say well you're just not up to the job so probably the right thing now that they've gone their separate ways I was arguing that McLaren should stick with Ricardo and and try to sort the car out because I still believe fundamentally the car is the bigger problem there for McLaren rather than the driver lineup I don't think Oscar Piastri is going to solve all of their issues magically in 2023 and 24 but at the same time you know Ricardo I think honestly would do a lot lot better if you plugged him into just another team because his career history shows you that this is an aberration. This is not a kind of true indication of Daniel Ricciardo's level as a driver. Yeah, and that's the gamble that anyone who does sign him will be taking, and that's what Ricciardo will back himself to deliver. But let's interrogate one of the options we have referred to. We've run through the, the race seats. We know Daniel Ricciardo has said his first choice would be to race in Formula One, but not just anywhere. It needs to be the right option. But if that option isn't there, this idea of being Mercedes reserve, it's one of the more left-field options, Claire. The rationale is that it keeps them in the game, outside chance of a race seat there if Lewis Hamilton retires at the end of the year. What do you think of that possible path? Does it make any sense to you? So I've got a feeling that the reason I was asked to pop onto this podcast is because I had a big rant to you about this in the car in Italy. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, went, I, went, 
<laughs> I went pretty strong on it. And, you had um, a good what opinion. did you say? <laughs> what did you say? I have to know about this rant. Um, well, yeah, it, I don't know if I fully back what I was saying, which is <laughs> was sort it of how of, I live. <laughs> was it one of those? Was it one of those delirious rants you have after a long day just, in the F one? Yeah, 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 yeah. Just literally getting to the point, driving to the airport, and just really angry about life. <laughs> um, I, I sort of stand with what I was saying. So basically, my rant was a bit along along the lines of. Don't do it. On reflection, I've thought about it. But my point mainly was, no, don't be a reserve driver. You know, go and go and find another career elsewhere in IndyCar. You know, you're you're too good of a driver to be a reserve driver. Don't be a Nico Hulkenberg always waiting on the wings and just waiting for someone to get COVID or, you know, whatever it is. Don't do that. You know, that you're too good of a driver to do that. And that's not me saying that Nico Hulkenberg's not a good driver. So don't come at me for that one. That's not what I meant. But I'm just saying, I don't think that that is the right career path. However, I have thought about it a little bit. And I don't know if I fully back myself anymore. <laughs> because if he leaves Formula One, he's out. That's it. You you do it's you can't like it's so difficult unless you're a Fernando Alonso or someone like that. It is incredibly difficult to leave Formula One at his age. Not saying he's old, but for a Formula One driver now they're coming in at the age of like four. You know, it is harder to get back into the paddock if you take a year out at this stage, unless you're a Fernando Alonso or Lewis Hamilton, whatever. So it depends where his career really wants to go. He wants to stay in Formula One. He's been very clear about that. He wants to stay where he is. Is that the right choice or should it be a, should it be? What was the analogy I did, Ed? Wasn't it like if you're in a relationship and you suddenly realize the relationship's over, but you hold on to that final couple of months because maybe they'll change or maybe you'll get on suddenly or maybe them not doing the washing up is going to be suddenly changed and you expect it all to be different. Do you know what I mean? Either do a, do a clear breakup or expect that things aren't going to change very quickly. I think that's how I view it. And this is the this is the rant I did on the way to the airport in Italy and Ed loved it. <laughs> I think... He has a big problem if he tries to take a proper sabbatical and exit the paddock for a year because, speaking to what you were saying, Claire, the likes of Alonso, they've done it on their own terms. You know, Alonso left because he was just so fed up with McLaren underperforming year after year. So he decided, right, I'm going. I want to go and do some other things, do some other racing, some other competitions, win again, or at least be competitive. McLaren wanted him to stay. Ricardo is absolutely not heading out of the paddock on his own terms if that's what he does. You know, he's he's at his lowest ebb competitively. His stock is at rock bottom. So he doesn't have the luxury of Alonso's considered position. He doesn't even have the luxury of being a young driver. So someone like Albon, who also was forced out of his seat, if you like, because of perceived underperformance, he was young enough and inexperienced enough that he could take a reserve role and that can just be seen as part of his natural development. You know, a bump in the road, he's got time on his side, he can come back stronger, etc. Ricardo is a Grand Prix winner. Like to me, full kit wanker status, as it's sometimes referred to unfavorably, is quite beneath him really, you know, when he's won so many races. He's not a guy who's been clinging on to Formula One by his fingertips for some time or a guy bringing, you know, budget to secure his drive. No, he's he's a guy who should be considered an asset to not just midfield teams, but the upper half of the grid. So I think as much as, you know, I made an argument for the reserve driver role could offer him some space uh, to rebuild and understand things. I mean, that I think that's legitimate, but I think it's a risky option because of the state he finds himself in at the point he's being turfed out of McLaren a year early on a very expensive contract. You know, I think he has to race on if there's a, a viable option because he needs next season to kind of restore the faith of the Formula One world in Daniel Ricciardo's abilities, which will be completely shaken by what's happened, even though 90% of the paddock won't have really any kind of proper inkling of understanding of what he's been through i just think don't do it 
he has to show that he again same point he either stays and does exactly what you said makes a makes another name for himself and shows everybody that he has won you know races and whether he's going to win a world championship maybe not but he is capable of that drive or you leave you know why would you I mean I get it maybe yeah he's got a pretty hefty payout from how how it sounds it's not like he's oh he can afford he can afford a year on the beach for sure literally he could but this is the thing you can afford a year on the beach but you can't afford a year out of Formula One so you have to you have to pick or choose and I just don't see what Daniel Ricciardo with all of his personality all of his talent all of his experience why is he sitting on the sidelines when the Formula One is obviously, as we know, the pinnacle of motorsport. But there are so many other motorsports that are really lucrative and exciting and fun. And IndyCar, he could go off and do some Le Mans for a year. As long as he keeps his face out there racing, you know, he has a chance to get back into Formula One. If he goes off and wins Le Mans, you know, oh, well, actually, that's a really lucrative, you know, bring him back in. Maybe, maybe you know, when there's a there's another seat going, at, I don't know, probably AlphaTauri, who knows, whenever the... The, the whole thing shakes up again and we have a silly season. But if you if you can build yourself a bit of a CV that that gives you more of a chance to get back in, but I just don't see... Ah, I'm probably going to get stuff on social media for this, but I don't see the benefit of going and being a reserve driver alongside Lewis Hamilton and George Russell. Lewis isn't going anywhere for a bit. Sorry, everyone keeps thinking he is, but, it, but he's not. He's not going anywhere. And George Russell is one of the stars of Mercedes. You know, he's obviously never going to move. So what are you gaining? What do you, keeping your face around? Does that, is that really what, I don't know. I don't know. I've, I look forward to the social media backlash of people shouting at me, but that's how I feel. <laughs> that's how I feel about it. Ricardo staking his future on the possibility of Lewis Hamilton retiring, I think is a risky proposition i wouldn't take the mercedes very pointless i think and and unless something happens unexpected then obviously you know you put yourself in a good position but the reserve role shouldn't be taken with that in mind it could work alongside a non-f1 racing program for sure i think you know that's alonso didn't quite do that but he certainly has spoken many times about the benefits that he took from racing in other categories outside of F1 and the lessons he could then take back into F1. I think Ricardo could do that as long as it was the right option, a properly competitive car, chance to win in a high-level series, IndyCar maybe. Weck, obviously, Weck is going through a, a, a re, rebirth, if you like, so that's that's not a silly option. But I think in terms of the F1 teams still with seats open, not considering him, I just think they're running scared of having to answer these questions about, oh, why have you taken Daniel Ricciardo? He's broken. You know, it's too much of a gamble, blah, blah, blah. You know, that's... Not broken. I know. I just I just don't <laughs> see that. Yeah, well, I, but I think that's the perception, you know? Yeah, if, yeah, yeah. Because the, they're seeing what most people see from the outside, which is a guy who's gone into a team as the top dog driver or meant to be the top dog driver to benchmark Norris on a lucrative contract. And he's just been smashed. And they think, well, that just means Daniel Ricciardo is no good. And so if we take Daniel Ricciardo, we just have to answer endless questions about why he's no good and why we've taken him. And, you know, you'll never hear the end of it until... Six months down the road, he's finally achieved some decent results to turn the narrative in the other direction. I think that's a really conservative position to take because there is so much still in there. It's not like he's been declining year after year or he's a really old driver whose heart's not in it. I think his heart might not be in it at the moment with McLaren for very understandable reasons. But I think if if I was a team boss with a seat open, I'd be having proper detailed meetings with Ricardo trying to work out if you know you could get him in the car because you know if you can get him comfortable get the the right energy around him get him excited again and you don't have one of the most idi- idiosyncratic cars on the grid you've got a he's by far and away one of the better options still on the driver market i would say but if he went over to Mercedes and became their reserve driver, with the maybe hope that one of them is going to retire soon, more likely Lewis Hamilton, do we really think that 
Mercedes would then have him as their driver. Because if you, you've got to remember, he's 33 now. So by the time that Hamilton left, he'd be on his way to 35. My maths is never that good. So I didn't miss a year, but I've worked out the year that we're missing. So uh, like, bear with me. But you know, he's 35 by that point or heading towards it. Are Mercedes going to decide to gamble with a 35-year-old in replacing a seven-time, maybe eight-time world champion by that point? Who knows? Or are they going to look into their catalogue of drivers that they're, you know, bringing up like they did with George Russell, whoever they're looking at, and go fresh? They're going to go fresh, aren't they? They're not going to go for Daniel Ricciardo. So if he's hoping eventually Mercedes might turn around and say, yeah, we'll have you. We'll have you for a year. Why not? I I just don't think that's plausible. I just don't think that's going to work for him. Um, So I think at the moment, his only options are going back to the, you know, the, the, the teams that where else is he going to go, though? This, this is what I don't understand quite with that career. Where else? He's, tri- he's tried Red Bull. He's tried Renault. Obviously not Renault anymore. He's tried McLaren. He's got Ferrari and Mercedes if he wants to, if he wants to win a world championship. Where else does he go? So what is the goal at this point, I think, is my... Does he want to stay for the point of staying or does he want to win a world championship? Yeah, and the opportunity with Ferrari for him was the year he went to McLaren because they chose to sign... Carlos Sites. So yeah, it's, it's one of those things. To play devil's advocate on the Mercedes reserve thing, I can see part of the argument in that you're taking a tremendous long shot that you might just find your way into a race seat there, which I would say is a very, very, very low chance. But it's kind of this thing of outside chance of the kind of miracle happening and getting into a front running car versus the certainty of, say, continuing elsewhere in the midfield or just saying F1's over and done with. But that's a hell of a commitment because that's going to involve a lot of driving around in a simulator, a lot of turning up at F1 races and doing paddock club talks and so on and so forth when you'd much rather be driving. So Danny Ricciardo would have to search very, very deep inside himself. He's willing to take a role that is really below him because really it's a young driver role or a younger driver role for a great outcome that's very, very unlikely, but fractionally more likely than if he doesn't do it, you could probably argue. But yeah, it's... a a very difficult one. I'd be surprised if when push comes to shove, it makes sense overall. But if he tries it, I can see the argument for it. But you're asking a lot for it to pay off. Is the World Championship goal really legitimate now for Ricardo? I mean, I feel like, you know, being at Red Bull, I get the, you know, the, the Max Verstappen wave and the impact that must have had on Ricardo internally. But, you know, he had a car that was capable of winning races, a team that was on the trajectory of competing for world championships. I I get that, you know, it was not known that Honda were going to be as successful as they turned out to be. And he would argue that he just didn't share that same faith. But the decisions he made objectively were to give up a race winning car for a midfield one. He did very well over those two years, ultimately, in that midfield team, got paid very well. So that certainly must have have had an impact, although I'm sure he would have been as close to as well remunerated at Red Bull because his stock was so high. And then he's got bounced from that midfield team, albeit with ambitions, to another midfield team with ambitions, but one that still is you know far away from being able to compete for world championships. Were they going to get there by the time this contract was up? I don't think so. Even if he went back to Alpine, obviously they have the 100 race plan, but do we really think that they're going to suddenly become a championship winning force? I feel like that's kind of a red herring. You know, joining Mercedes as a reserve isn't his best route to a world championship in the future. I think it's more now a case of what do you want to be racing for? Is it are you doing it for the love and because you can get paid? Are you doing it because you can't think of anything else to do with your life? Uh, you know, he's you make a really good point about him not being a young driver anymore. He hasn't got the the world at his feet and a lot of time to, you know, spend his career bouncing up and down or working out the best path. I think if he still loves racing like he says he does and wants to compete at the highest level, then he just has to take the hit on his reputation and salary and what have you, take the best race seat that's offered and just see where you end up. Not think 
too long term about where does this lead? You know, what's my best route to a top team or a world championship in the future? Ignore all of that. Like this is in veering into Alonso career misstep territory, you know. Alonso <laughs> won those two world championships and then for all sorts of various reasons that we can't delve into now, never made a, a really good career decision after that. You know, he he doesn't think about winning a third world championship, really, does he? You know, he's, yes, he does. He's in Formula One now yes, because he does. because he missed it. He missed the adulation. He knows he can get paid really well. Nah, he, look, they're all after. They are all after world championships. Yeah, but whether whether but, they say it or they don't, I'm sure that they, they they all want to do it. But there's he's not realistically thinking he's going to win a world championship with Aston Martin, is he? He's going to Aston Martin because he can he can prolong his career and he can and he can bank the coin. If you ask him, then yes, he says he is absolutely yeah. adamant you that would, Aston Martin, but you who are, what, eighth or ninth in the championship, are you on their way to win a world championship next year. You wouldn't give up an Alpine seat for an Aston Martin seat if you realistically had ambitions of winning a world championship in the next few years, because the trajectory I mean, of those teams is quite clearly that Alpine has a better chance, I would say. So, you, might if you're, really? you might if you're Fernando Alonso and you want to make a point. Because that's yeah. what, that sort of, thing, <laughs> of thing's quite important to him. He likes a Pyrrhic victory, doesn't he? Yeah. Uh, look, I, I, I still think the point is, is what's the goal? I think that's that's where it comes to now. It's exactly what you said there, Ben. Like, is it is it that he just wants to race and have fun and do a Fernando Alonso and, and you know, live out his, his final days living at the, the top of the pinnacle of motorsport and et cetera, et cetera? Or do you want to win a world championship? If you want to win a world championship maybe go to a different championship and try it, you know, and see if you can win elsewhere, see if you can win in WEC, see if you can win whatever it is, you know, Formula E even. I know, you know, (laughs) that Sebastian Vettel isn't as excited about Formula E as maybe some of the other drivers, but, you know, it's still winning an FIA World Championship. So what do you want? What is the goal? Do you enjoy Formula One and everything you get from it? Or are you enjoying racing? Because if you're enjoying racing, you can race anywhere, you know, I guess... Not race anyway. You know what I mean? I'm being a bit flippant. There's a big world out there. Yeah, certainly. Yeah. There are other things to do. NASCAR, IndyCar, whatever you want to do, there are other things that are out there. So it just depends what his goal is at the moment. And it seems like his goal is he can't let go of Formula One. Yeah, that's certainly the risk, isn't it? And now, as you say, lots of options out there. Even Australian supercars, he can go and do that. He's always liked the idea. Oh, V8s are super cool. Exactly. He always liked the idea of doing Bathurst. So that, that could be one other option. We'll get back to the pod in a moment, but first, a word about our partner, Grammarly. No matter what kind of work you do, how you communicate is key. All those emails, reports and presentations are equally important to the collaboration needed to get things done. And Grammarly can help. Grammarly is your AI writing partner to help you communicate more effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact at work. I know from experience that Grammarly can help you save time on any writing task and ensure you feel confident about what you've produced. In fact, 96% of Grammarly's users report that Grammarly helps them craft more impactful writing, and their tone suggestions can help you navigate even the most difficult work conversations. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Sign up and download for free at Grammarly.com forward slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Well, let's try and tie together everything we've been talking about. We've talked through Ricardo's situation, his options, etc. So, Ben, if you were Daniel Ricardo. What would you do? Now, I do have to add the caveat that we don't know exactly what's on offer, but what would you do if you were Daniel Ricciardo? Well, if I was Daniel Ricciardo and I cannot convince Laurent Rossi to reverse his mentality of writing you off as a Formula One driver and take you back, then I would take, if I could get it, the Haas seat because I feel like that team is shorn of some of the politics and other things that follow teams higher up the grid. The incumbent driver, Kevin Magnussen, talked a lot about how when he left Renault, it was exactly what he needed, this kind of low-volume team, a bit more like the junior categories, pure racing focus, just to kind of rebalance, reset, 
find the love of it again, find yourself again as a driver. I would take a short-term Haas deal and then just see where it leads in the future. What would you do, Claire? Would you go Haas or would you accept it's over and move on? Um, I think Ben makes a very good point about Haas. I think they're a lovely team and I think they are a team that um, every year seem to be getting that small step better. Um, I think Gunther Steiner is a is a great person. He seems very honest with what he wants from his drivers and, and seems to give them. He's given Schumacher a lot of time um, to grow and he hasn't made any knee-jerk reactions. He's 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 been true to who his lineup is. I would say, yeah, if if, if the option of Haas was there, I, I wouldn't think that was a bad choice. However, if you want to be winning races and you want to be winning championships, I would leave because you, you've had your time in F1 and you've, you've made such a good impression. You know, go and see what else is out there. The door never completely shuts. I know we've been sort of saying if you leave F1, it's very hard to get back in. But like I said, if you go and win something else, maybe there could be a chance to pop back in for a year cameo. Who knows? I don't know. It, it, basically, I would I would go and have a holiday for a year, I think, because the choice is just too much for me. Um, no, look, hey, Haas. Haas is a good choice. Haas is a is is not a is not a bad choice to go with. Um, they're a team that are growing. You keep your face in Formula One. They're they're not a um, they don't seem like a team that has a lot of conflict and K-Mag is great, welcome. assuming that it's K-Mag. That, well, um, welcome to the camp, Claire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, well. <laughs> oh, I'll go and win IndyCar. <laughs> I must admit, I'm slightly disappointed with these answers from you because it's left me with nowhere to go. I thought I'd have a clear run of it. But my, <laughs> ah, we've snookered Ed. This is my, brilliant. My <laughs> position does have just one subtlety of it, which is, Haas is the only one that we know. I think if Daniel Ricciardo picked up the phone right now to Gunter Stein and says, right, let's do it, I think it happens. I think that's the only one where pretty much it's 100% if he wants it, it can happen. And obviously, yeah, it depends whether he is willing to accept not a huge amount of money or whatever. But I think if you're in Haas's position or any other team, you say, look, you've got money coming in, you're damaged goods, we want to back you, but you've got to accept you're not quite, you know, you're not the $25 million man anymore. So you'd want to see... Uh, you'd want to see him showing he really wants to do it. Not just that he quite likes the idea, he wants to, but look, if you want to do this, we'll make it happen. And I think that could work for both sides. And I think actually, I still think Alpine should consider Ricardo because he's got the high upside. So for me, it all comes down to, does he really, in his heart of hearts, think he really wants to do it and really has it in him? He says he does. He probably thinks he does. But it's difficult, isn't it? He probably won't really know until he's had time to reflect on it and let things play out. And he might say in five, ten years' time, actually, I thought this, but now I look back. I know, you know, it's it's difficult in the moment to be absolutely sure. But I think staying on the grid is a, a good move simply because of what's been referred to earlier. I think you were saying it, Claire. He could take a sabbatical, yes, and that, there's, there's some arguments to that. But probably the chances to come back in are not going to be Mercedes, Ferrari, Red Bull, are they? They're going to be probably the same much of a muchness. Yeah, an Alpine or an Alpine drive is better than a, a Haas drive, certainly, but it puts you in similar territory. But if you could go into Haas, consistently beat Kevin Magnussen, who's a, who's a good driver, up and down Magnussen, very beatable for Ricardo. You could rebuild your reputation. Everyone would be able to say, okay, it was just McLaren specific. Do you know what? If we need someone good, maybe Ricardo is the way to go. But it all comes down to whether he really wants to do it and still has that desire or whether the fact that as we've alluded to, he's probably realised the world championship dream is gone now. It's just not still there in him. And he's got other things in his life. He's got business interests. He's got plenty of property. He's got his farm in Perth. There's loads of things for him to do. So he might just think, do you know what? I'll just I'll just move on. So I guess those are the options. Only Ricardo really knows what he wants to do. But I'd like to think he'll listen to this podcast to give him some clarity of thought as we've, uh, as we've run through <laughs> if, them. If he does, continue with the wine, please. Lots more. Just keep doing the wines. They were great. <laughs> That's a good uh, a good bit of guidance there for him. But it'll be interesting to, to see where it goes. We know he's active behind the scenes. He's looking for something. So this driver market has surprised us again and again this year. So let's not rule anything out. And... He's the driver with the big proven upside, and that's worth something. Just because you've had a couple of bad years doesn't mean you're in trouble. Well, thanks very much for your insight, Claire, and 
Ben, head to the race.com and don't forget the hyphen for all the latest on Daniel Ricciardo and the rest of the driver market. There's plenty to read there. And we do have an app now. So search for the race media app and you'll be able to get your app on your phone with your notifications whenever there's a story and you can customise it for what you'd like to be told about. Also have a look at our sister podcasts, including Bring Back V10s and also check out our YouTube channel. Well, Formula One's still in this relatively long gap thanks to the absence of the Russian Grand Prix, but stick with us on the Race F1 podcast for everything you need to know from the world of Formula One. The Athletic.